For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. After introducing the book of Proverbs, King Solomon gets started by reminding us how easy it is to access heavenly wisdom and what fools would be to ignore it. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Wisdom's Warning. Alrighty, let's get started. We're going to pick up where we left off Proverbs chapter 1. We just introduced the, la- the book the last time, and so if, you're, um, if you missed that, uh, There's kind of a recap, and you can always go online or listen to the podcast. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this wonderful book of Proverbs that just download from heaven of all the wisdom and knowledge that we would need to to live a blessed life. So now we pray that you'd open the eyes of our understanding and help us to uh, grasp these truths and put them into practice so that we could be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in high school, there was a popular R&B song. Maybe you'll recognize it by the title. Everybody plays the fool. Sometimes. And I'll, I'll read you a couple of the, the lyrics. Everybody plays the fool sometime. There's no exception to the rule. Listen, baby. It may be factual, may be cruel, I ain't lying, everybody plays the fool. Oh, yes. <laughs> Very good. And, and it is true, um, certainly before Christ and sometimes even after our Christian conversion, uh, we end up playing the fool. But the book of Proverbs, whole point, the book of Proverbs exists uh, to minimize our time playing the fool and reaping the painful consequences of doing foolish things uh, and that we would be wise instead and enjoying a blessed and prosperous, a sense of well-being, even when things are uh, hard and we're going through adversity. Uh, Proverbs, of course, is a collection of uh, wisdom uh, that God gave uh, through King Solomon, and he wrote most of them. He's the general editor. Uh, in chief, there are a couple other writers, just the uh, Proverbs, uh, the last couple chapters of Agur and also uh, King Lemuel. But by and large, it's Solomon's work. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through him. 31 chapters, uh, the wisdom meaning how to live a skillful life in relationships and little, the, the Proverbs start technically in chapter 10, as we mentioned, little sound bites of smart you know, just little buckshot little sayings that really when you read them over and over again, when you're in a situation that calls for that kind of uh, decision or wisdom, it's there because you've been soaking in them throughout the, your days and your years. And so um, 
We're going to take a look at uh, chapter one here again. Now, we talk a lot about fools in, in um, Proverbs. Uh, just about every other sentence is t- mentions the word fool or stupid. And so I just want to say right off the bat, we need to get a little comfortable uh, with those words, which are sound very harsh to our ears. Uh, but there's a difference in the Hebrew um, When Jesus tells us not to say, thou fool, you fool, raka, uh, he's saying uh, it's an insult. It it means, you know, moron or something like that. Uh, That is prohibited. Uh, The words used for fool and and stupid, they're technical words. They're not insults. They're technical words that say uh, this is a a foolish behavior or senseless or mindless uh, behavior. But they're they're more like adjectives. Uh, They're not insults. And so we just need to get a little bit used to that. We're going to hear the word fool mentioned uh, several times uh, tonight. Uh, Now, I just want to show you uh, that Proverbs addresses five kinds of fools. So foolishness uh, comes in five assorted flavors. Um, And so I'm going to slide for that. And you can follow along as I uh, explain them to you. Uh, One of the most common words for fool in the Proverbs will be pethi in the Hebrew. And it means quite literally, and I mentioned this last week, to be opened up. And it just means you have no grounded convictions. You're open to every wind of teaching. You're open to every strange idea that comes into your head. And so uh, that's the first one. And uh, that means a person, uh, it's the simple fool. And it's really the word simple or, or should be uh, really uh, dangerously immature, gullible, uh, not grounded. And so the second word for fool uh, is the word evel, right? Avil in the Hebrew. And that word means, that's the word, it's a silly kind of fool, but actually that word is better translated stupid. Uh, It means mindless, without thinking, perverse, irreverent. Uh, Life is one big joke. Uh, That person knows it all and uh, doesn't need to be taught by anybody. Uh, That's the fool that brings disgrace uh, to their families. Uh, the third one is the sensual fool, kesil in Hebrew, and that has the uh, understanding of somebody who's driven by their passions. They're just like an animal. They just want what they want, and they go after it. If it feels good, who cares? I'm going to do it, and I want it, and I want it now kind of person. Uh, the passion at the expense of uh, moral and ethical considerations, and we get that. And then there's the mocking fool, uh, lutz in the Hebrew. It means to run the mouth, and it's the person who just has disdain and contempt for everybody and everything and every situation, cynical about organizations and about Christians and about God, uh, that kind of person who mocks everybody for every, every and any reason. And then the saddest one is the last word used for fool. Uh, I call it the dyed in the wool. That's my 
uh, definition of it just means the determined fool. He's a fool to the core, to the bone. No matter how you slice him, he's just determined. Uh, I think hellbent would be the right kind of uh, description for this person who's kind of a professional rebel and uh, they're just, just corrupt and vile to the core. And, and so uh, that's perhaps the most sad and dangerous uh, kind of fool. Now, the five manifestations, uh, I think one person might have a few of those varieties, um, but uh, are, they are addressed as separate kinds of uh, nuances to doing foolish things. Now, thank you for that slide. Uh, so there you have it. Um, and as sinners, everybody does play the fool. Some One of those five kinds of uh, foolish follies is uh, oftentimes in our lives, unfortunately. But when the Holy Spirit comes on board, there's no more need for that kind of foolishness. Uh, we have a conversion. The Holy Spirit comes on board. We're born again. We have newness of life. We have the word of God in us. So we have tools. And we have the book of Proverbs you know, and the whole entire canon of scriptures. And so uh, the, uh, chapter one and verse four told us the reason we have the word of God and the Proverbs was to impart wisdom to the simple, one of those words for fools, discernment and discretion for the young and also to, for the wise, that the, those who are already wise would add to their learning so we never stop learning to be wise. We always have a need for more and more wisdom. And it all begins and it all ends really with the, with the concept of not having to play the fool. Any one of those five descriptions. And it all begins with something called the fear of the Lord. And so let's begin with verses, um, I believe, seven through nine, where we left off the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adore your neck. So we're going to pause there. So first we're going to see here uh, a couple foundational truths right here in your text. Uh, first of all, what's required to gain God's wisdom, and secondly, the overall benefit of wisdom in your life. So then there'll be two more lessons, uh, major lessons to follow, and that will end uh, chapter one. So let's take a look at the, the first uh, foundational key to unlock all wisdom. It's called the fear of the Lord. And it's the most important lesson of all uh, because without it, it's pretty much stupid forever and with no hope of um, getting any wisdom. So to begin with, we've got the prerequisite uh, for wisdom. If anyone ever hopes to be skilled at life, and that's what wisdom in a biblical sense means. You're skilled with relationships. You're just skilled at making it work as a human being. In a broken world with broken relationships, with messed up situations, you're just skilled at it. Uh, you've got the who, the what, the when, the how, and the why from God's point of view down, and you act accordingly. I mean, think about it. I mean, those five... Um, 
those five statements there, the who, you understand. When you have wisdom, you understand the person or people that you're dealing with. Uh, the what, you can discern what the real issue is all about because oftentimes you're talking about one thing, but the issue is very different from what's on the surface. And then the when, timing is so important, man. It'll make or break something. And then the how, how to go about bringing resolve or peace or uh, some kind of uh, remedy to a situation. And then the why, to understand the objective in the situation and the desired uh, outcome. And he says, you'll have this if, number one, you fear the Lord. Now, most of you already know what that means, and it really doesn't mean to be afraid of God as our Father, but it does mean to show him that awe and respect and reverence that we should because he's God uh, of the universe. And so who incidentally happens to be our Abba, our Papa God. And so we have this kind of, uh, this kind of, uh, there's a word for that, a paradox, right? That we've got the Lord of all creation and we get to call him Papa God, right? Uh, one of my favorite uh, professors at Bible college, he's with the Lord now, Norm Arneson is, was his name. And he used to say, it's so true. God is our father. He is daddy, but he's not daddy-o. You know, and I just thought that was so cool. Uh, he's a little, he's older than, than I am uh, by probably 30 years. And so back in the day, it was cool to say daddy-o, apparently. Well, you know, <laughs> it was like... Uh, Mr. Beaver has to remind Susan, you know, Susan's all, he's a lion? He's a what? Is he safe? And then he says, safe, said Mr. Beaver. Uh, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. He's the Lord of Narnia. He's not safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. And so the fear of the Lord just recognized the awesome power of God, who God is, and who we are, you know, 18 times uh, in Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is. So if you Googled that, you could see in Proverbs uh, all the different ways it's used. And if you read those, you'll get a good picture of what the fear of the Lord is. I could go on for days about it, and you know I could. So um, uh, let me give it to you in one sentence. It's to listen and obey. <laughs> That's how you know you fear the Lord. I mean, there's a ton of nuances, uh, but that you obey him. That's the, the evidence. You know, we know a lot of stuff, and we've walked with the Lord a long time. But, uh, you know, you can know and listen, but do we revere the Lord enough to obey him? That's the question. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, don't kid yourself. You know, don't just be a listener of the word like you know a lot of stuff and you were in the Bible study, but you don't put it into practice. So who are you kidding? You're just kidding yourself. Uh, so, so be careful about that. Uh, so to fear the Lord. Uh, so, and so it goes, a person who has a low view of God's power and holiness or involvement in our lives. If you have a low view thinking God's out there somewhere, you know, it's just me. He's not really that 
involved with me. Or if you have kind of a lack in your understanding of your personal accountability, that one day you will keep your appointment. It is appointed unto you once to die and then the judgment. And that goes for Christians as well. We shall be evaluated. If you have a low view of that, or you don't quite understand that, or you have a low view of who God is in his power and omniscience and all of that, and you don't understand the dynamic of living in relationship with God. So Christianity to you is you find out what Christian life is like and then you try to keep those rules and regulations instead of a day-to-day living voice from God and reading and hitting at the mark and falling short and talking to God and, and walking with him. If you don't have that kind of relationship with him, then you do not fear the Lord. And as such, therefore, uh, you, you won't have the motivation to take the next step, which is to obey him. You need the fear of the Lord to help you do the hard work of obeying God because it's against your natural inclination and it's against what the world's uh, conventional wisdom is about everything, right? So the fear of the Lord helps you to obey and to do the hard work of uh, obedience. That's really what it is. So uh, he's going to say, you can expect to play the fool over and over again if you don't have this reverence for God. Um, And you may be thinking, you know, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. What's the remedy for somebody who's grow cold in the reverence and fear of the Lord. Uh, Always prayer and repentance. Prayer and repentance. Repentance and prayer is the remedy for all Christian woes. So whenever you're in a jam and you find yourself, whoops, you know, I've kind of taken a misstep here and I've loved Jesus a lot more devotedly in in days gone by, prayer and repentance is really uh, what you need. And so... Uh, so the requirement is this reverent awe and respect for the one from whom wisdom comes. And now it also says a quick overall benefit of applying wisdom. So he says, listen, uh, my son, he says, uh, to your father's instruction, don't forsake your mother's teaching. There'll be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. In other words, Uh, Wisdom beautifies your life and makes you an attractive, worthwhile person. And um, the overall effect of living wisely is that uh, you become attractive. And uh, that flies in the face of a lot of what the world thinks. You know, it's all about the outward. And God is saying when somebody has godly character, they're beautiful. And we see that as well. You know, uh, we, you know, first of all, we see, first of all, that the framework of wisdom coming through Proverbs is going to come as a dad teaching his child, right? And so that just shows us God has a responsibility for parents, for moms and dads to raise uh, their children as the Bible teaches, Ephesians chapter six, verse four, in the nurture, the love, and the admonition, instruction of the Lord. And that is the same in the Old Testament as well. Deuteronomy chapter six. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
And then he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about, with your, talk about them with your kids when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down at bedtime and when you get up in the morning at breakfast. These kinds of things is our responsibility. I never heard my parents one day in my life ever sit me down and say, Ross, hey, listen, don't do that. You need to do this. This is what the Lord wants from us. I just never, four human beings got set up for failure. And as soon as we were out of the house, anybody who'd show us a little bit of attention or affection or uh, any kind of uh, seduction, I, I mean, we were set up. We, I, just blank slates that knew nothing of wisdom. How many of you were so blessed you had at least one parent who was a believer who could raise you in a way that lets you know about the truth of God? And so probably about a, a third or a fourth of you. What, listen, if your mom and dad raised you in the Lord, what a gift you have. What, what a gift. What a rarity. That's what parents were supposed to do and are supposed to do. But sadly, a lot of us grew up by ourselves. We raised ourselves and uh, had to find out the hard way. The book of Proverbs is here. The book, uh, the Bible is here. And so he's talking about listening, listening. And when he's going to talk about your mother and father, as he does all through Proverbs, he's assuming, of course, that they're God-fearing people. Right, And so he's talking about David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba left a horrendous, terrible disaster and became godly parents. And he's talking about wisdom that made him who he is, King Solomon. And so, um, of course, the Proverbs are saying that our father is speaking to his child. And so ultimately, it's not about uh, listening to King Solomon talk to his kids, but the Holy Spirit talking uh, to us as he says, listen to me, you're going to uh, <clears throat> have an attractive life if you do. Uh, so who doesn't want to be attractive? We want to be attractive. Uh, we understand that it's about an inner beauty that makes people beautiful. Uh, beauty only goes skin deep. We, we know that. We say those things. First uh, Peter chapter three tells women, don't be so obsessed with the outward, but he says, um, uh, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and reverent spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And this uh, character and godliness makes people beautiful and shiny and, and a clean uh, countenance is very uh, becoming in this world because it's so uh, dark. And, you know, these words are coming from uh, very good-looking people. Uh, David and Bathsheba and all their kids. The Bible says beautiful, stunning, beautiful, handsome, above all, everybody. They were just very good-looking people. And Amnon and Adonijah and Absalom were all noted for their beauty, the word beauty. And they were so ugly. They were so ugly people. Amnon rapes his half-sister, right? Adonijah wants the throne. 
And Absalom wants to kill his father so he can be the king of Israel. But they're good looking. <laughs> they're good looking. You know what the, 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 the Proverbs will say about a woman who, ha, who is, uh, lacks moral discretion. A beautiful woman who lacks moral discretion is like a gold ring in the snout of a pig, you know? And I, that's not my words. Don't look at me like that. That's in the Proverbs. We'll get to that one. And I got one for guys. A handsome man uh, without moral discretion is like a fine gold coin at the bottom of a tub filled with dirty bath water. Okay, well... I tried, ladies. I tried to uh, make it equal here. Yes, and so Jezebel was beautiful, but she was pretty ugly. All right, so he's saying, listen, you want a gold chain around your neck or a wreath uh, that victors and, and champions wore those wreaths. And so you want to walk into town and have people turn their head and say, hey, there's the champion or, or look at that little bling or whatever. It just kind of gives you a little whatever sense of, wow, look at me. Only people who had money, royalty, wore a little gold chain. And so he's saying, listen, when you're wise, I... I when you see some, I just saw this, you know, I'm thinking of somebody sitting in a room, a young man, and um, an old elderly man came in the room, and he stood in respect for the older man and was all about seeing if he needed anything. And I just thought, that's beautiful. It was beautiful. It, and because now he's saying, Beautiful qualities make for beautiful people. And it doesn't matter what you look like, you see. Can I throw one more thing at you since you're sitting there looking so uh, patient and willing? You, you know, I was on a date at a Bible college with a girl. And within the first five minutes, she was a real pretty girl. And I really liked her a lot. I looked forward to get to know her. Um, but uh, we were in the car, and somebody uh, turned into my lane, and she just used the most uh, ugly language. And I just thought, the date's over in my heart. It was so over, and it had just started. We were going to Chinatown, so from Santa Cruz. So I just thought, oh, it's going to be a long, long evening, because it was so over. I had a fake the whole night. Like, ah, yeah, what did you like, mushu pork? You know, and I'm just like, I want to go home and, get, and just see you off, man. I just don't. I married a woman. I have never heard in my life a foul word out of her mouth, ever. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for, yeah, she was cute and beautiful, you know, uh, but she also had this classy kind of just the pastor's wife kind of character. <laughs> I'm moving on. I think you get the point, right? Hey, so what I'm trying to say is save yourself the, ex the expensive accessories and just, you know, be kind, uh, give to the poor, you know, uh, don't use profanity, uh, be honest, work hard, and people will be wowed. All right, moving on. So uh, with the two quick foundational thoughts out of the way, it's time for a major moral lesson. 
My son, if sinners entice you, don't give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we'll share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths for their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. And so we've got the first point here now. The first major lesson of wisdom, now we're kind of into the body of the book, is to learn how to say no, first of all, to bad company, to bad ideas and temptations. And this temptation in this case is ill-gotten gain or greed, right? Um, So wisdom prompts courage to say no. So... First of all, never excuse yourself from learning from a passage when you read it and you think it has nothing to do with you because you may read this and say, well, uh, finally, something that I don't struggle with, you know. Uh, But however, (laughs) well, first of all, I was thinking, do you know how useful this is to in every major city in the world? Every inner city. There are thousands of people who struggle with the peer pressure they grow up, they raise themselves in, in God-forsaken situations, and, and then comes a gang or a group. And they say, hey, man, you know, come hang with us. And, and they're looking to uh, gain, ill-gotten gain, you know, to break the law, to, be, to have a life of crime, and uh, they get, people get swept in. Uh, but for you and for me, you know, I haven't been struggling with murdering somebody lately, and so... <laughs> You know, <laughs> I haven't, and uh, nor have I wanted to uh, steal all their valuables and load them into my garage. Uh, but listen, there are a lot of different ways that we are enticed to go after something that we want and covet and cause harm to other people and not care about that. So I can resonate with that, and so can all of us now. Here's a nice quote here. The first application for Solomon's first admonition here is is that you have to, from an early age, learn to distinguish yourself and say no to the crowd. Okay, so let me explain what I mean by that. There's a nice quote here. If a child learns the foundational lesson that he has a different destiny and a different obligation, an obligation to God, God's word to God's people and to holiness to distinguish himself from a wor- the world and peer pressure he can make it from his teens to adulthood morally unscathed what he's saying is that right away the christian the believer at a young age, has to, has to say no to the crowd. So the crowd is wanting to tease somebody or the crowd is wanting to cheat on the test or, or the crowd is wanting to do something uh, mischievous. He has to say, no, I don't do that. And the sooner that you learn how to bear reproach as somebody who doesn't go along with the world, 
the better because you start to have character. And uh, that's what he's saying. Application number one is learn from an early age to separate yourself from the thinking of the world and the pressure that makes you want to uh, be accepted and join in. Psalm 1 talks about don't follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with uh, mockers. And so from an early age, we just have to taste and embrace the reproach of being separated from the world and learning how to tell people, no, I, I don't do those things. No, I'm not going there on Friday night with you. There's still Christians in this church that get sucked into peer pressure on Friday nights and they're out and doing things they shouldn't be doing. Why? Because they never learned how to say, no, I'm not that kind of guy. They're still kind of doing it and trying to get away and walk the fence and have a double life. And so he's saying, first of all, you must learn how to say no. And secondly, here this paragraph, the application is to tell yourself no, to start being able to tell yourself no, like the Lord said, if anybody wants to be a disciple of mine, you have to learn how to... Self-denial, self-denial, deny himself and daily, right? Whether that's through a friend or some person or the devil himself, we have to learn how to say no. Uh, James chapter one says, temptation comes when each person is tempted, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And so uh, greed is the enticement here. And so from an early age, we're supposed to learn that uh, greed should not drive our lives. So he says, um, come with us. We're going to get all kinds of valuable stuff. We don't have to work for it. Uh, we can just take it and fill our garages with all kinds of plunder, get rich quick and very little effort. And so come on, we'll be a team together. The third application really is uh, learning that playing with temptation really leads to a trap. And so sin makes you do stupid things. Uh, verse 17, he, he says, birds, though their brains are this big, right? They know enough when they see a guy spreading a net, they don't fly into it, okay? Because they're, they're smart because they have a brain this big. But you have a brain this big, but uh, you're not as smart as the bird if you are going after ill-gotten gain or doing some sort of uh, wrong, sinful behavior. Uh, people who are obsessed with sin lose perspective, and, and, and they damage themselves, and they put themselves and their families in harm's way. They're sinning, they're blind to it. There's a trap right there, and you're going to walk right into it. I've got a picture of a, a money trap here. You know, there's a $100 bill. Was it, is it worth it? Wait for it. There it is. Ouch. Right? I mean, it's a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper. It's a number. And that's all it is, you know? But people, oh, man, let me read to you. Those who want to get rich in this life. New Testament. Those who want to get rich in this life. Uh, fall into a, to a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He's talking about Christians. 
So yeah, you know, we've excused ourselves from Proverbs chapter one, but actually the New Testament puts it right back in our faces. Thank you for that. And by the way, it doesn't matter what's there, money, or I got another picture of that, you know, a little, yeah, yeah, you know, it might be Swiss cheese for you, you know, no. <laughs> and it is for me, because I love Swiss cheese, but fortunately it's not a sin. Well, unless you're just picking out all night long, and that would be gluttony, right? But well, whatever, put it there, you know. He's saying when you want what you want and it's sinful, you become blind and stupid and you fall into a trap and you get hurt. And he wants us to realize, to associate sin with blindness and blindness with falling into a trap and a trap with owie, all right? Moving on. You can put that back there. So he's saying, "Learn." verse 19 is learn the lesson. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It will destroy them every single time. And so the conclusion is, don't think you're going to be the exception and get away with stuff. You just will never get away with it. So it's wise to distinguish yourself from the world, to resist sinners who entice you, to resist your own temptations for greed slash Swiss cheese, whatever. Uh, be smart enough to avoid the trap like a vice like greed and, um, and that you will always end up ensnared uh, in the end uh, who go down that path. Okay, so we're gonna finish up now with temptations and the wrong crowd aren't the only ones calling. And so here's a long section, but it, it sums up quite nicely and easily. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. So he's just saying, listen, I'm t I've been telling you already what to do. If you don't listen to me, you're gonna be sorry. That's the summation of this paragraph. <laughs> Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand to help you, since you ignored all my advice and wouldn't accept my rebuke, I, in turn, will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelms you. Then they will call to me, but I'm not going to answer. They will look for me, but you are not going to find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spur my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, wisdom, will live in safety and be at ease and without fear of harm. And so we're done with chapter one. Let's make a few comments here. So he just said, don't go down the wrong path. And now he's gonna say, don't ignore my advice as wisdom or you're gonna be sorry. Right? So uh, the first thought here is there's no excuse. And you're going to see wisdom calls aloud in the public squares all through Proverbs. And, and here's what he's saying. Uh, people don't have ex an excuse to be dumb in life uh, because wisdom is everywhere. So he's saying uh, 
Uh, you don't have to go to school. You don't have to be smart. You didn't need to get A's on your report card because God puts wisdom on the lower bottom shelves everywhere on every bookcase in every room in, in your house. And he also puts wisdom in your car. He puts it in the driveway and in the garage. He puts it in parking lots. He puts it downtown Santa Rosa and he puts it on the farm and he'll put wisdom. This is the point. Is that wherever you are, Christ is. The Holy Spirit's in your heart and, and, and you'll always have a choice right then and there. Do I go left or right? Do I go dumb and foolish or do I go smart and wise? Every single time. So he's saying, no excuses about I didn't know or I, had, I haven't been to college or whatever it is. You know, I didn't have my mom and dad, you know, didn't raise me. And I'm like Pastor Ross who just kind of got set up for failure, you know, uh-uh. Because when you want to do the right thing, wisdom is right there and God uh, allows you to have it. Whether you're at the gym Unbelievable. Christians at the gym, unbelievable. How many stories I've heard about stupid things Christians do at the gym. Flirting around, looking where they shouldn't be looking, uh, and starting relationships that they shouldn't. What is that? You know, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna. I have at the gym, and I didn't prepare to say that, but you know, the school, the office, there's wisdom everywhere. And so, as close as the enticement to be a fool is, the calling of wisdom is there as well. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you. That isn't common to everybody. But God is faithful with that temptation, not to allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will be faithful to provide a way of escape. That's called wisdom. So he's, God has promised that every single time you hear the call to go left, there's an escape to go right. Every single time. God said it's there, knit into the fabric. It's a spiritual law that when you have the choice and you think I'm gonna do something foolish, that God has made a way. He's put an exit ramp right there. All he needs for you to do is signal the turn. That's all you have to do. Hit the blinker. That's it. And exit. Is that so hard? And he's going to say that. He's going to say, is it really that hard? And so there's no excuse. Now, the Holy Spirit has a little fun in verses 22 through 33. Wisdom is going to come up per, become a person. And throughout the book of Proverbs, we find it, it's she. It's lady wisdom, which is kind of nice. Uh, she is sassy. Though she's going to be sassy here, uh, but in, in a sacred way, okay? And, and by the way, it's not the Lord speaking. It's this inanimate quality called wisdom. The Lord doesn't mock us. He cries with us when we're falling apart. But wisdom, that's another story. And so we're going to talk about that right now. So he's, he, he's saying, uh, now, he's, wisdom is saying, listen, she comes at us with uh, a lot of logic. So first of all, here's what she says to somebody who wants to play the fool. 
Uh, haven't you had enough frustration? Seriously? The dead ends, the drama, the frustration. How long is this going to go on? How long do you want it to go on? What about this do you like? You know, that's what, what she's saying. Are you enjoying this? Seriously. You know, and then secondly, she says, you do have some options. You could have responded to my rebuke. Now, what does she mean by that? She means every time you do something dumb and you pay for it, right? That's wisdom saying, that was dumb. Don't do that again, right? And so she's saying, if you would have responded to that, you would have been wise, but no, you get smacked upside of the head and you keep doing it. I, and wisdom is just saying, I'm just curious. Is this working for you? I, I, honestly, uh, you seem to love foolishness and hate wisdom. You seem to like the hammer on your head. And, and just that's what wisdom is saying. What is your problem? That's really basically what uh, wisdom is saying. Now, uh, when you lost your job and you uh, offended another friend, um, when you got fired, uh, when you failed another class because you, you just haven't learned how to manage your time and to actually study for the test or set an alarm clock. Uh, and, and when you get the F, you, and, and, and the F comes across and goes, you know, right across your face, instead of that's wisdom saying, okay, Learn from this. Let's do some changing. And instead, she says, no. She's talking to the guys. Hell then, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just going to ignore you. She says, listen, sadly, when you keep a prolonged refusal, and, and let me quote 24 to 28, you refused, you disregarded, you closed your eyes, you ignored life lessons, uh, you left me hanging, I had my hand out, here you go, come on, let's get, let's get back up, and, and you don't pick it up. Then, and then she goes on to say two things re result. Uh, if you spurn or despise my efforts to help you, two things. Number one, wisdom's personal reaction is, is shown us. And number two, the natural consequences of stupid slash evil behavior. So number one, here comes the sarcasm. She, she says, I, wisdom, are going to watch you wreck your life. And all I can do is say, hello, told you, remember me? You know, so when you get your DUI and you're crying and you can't drive to work anymore or when your wife wants to leave you because it's too much pornography for her and so she wants to leave you and rightfully so, biblically, she has biblical grounds because you're committing adultery. Amen. She can cite a passage and say, the Lord lets me out of this marriage. And wisdom's like, remember me screaming at the top of my lungs. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this. You're a Christian. You're married. You're supposed to be holy. And you kept on clicking. And so she, wisdom's like, ah, you want my help now? I can't be found. Talk to your wife. Get a lawyer. You know, that's what the... <laughs> That's what wisdom, wisdom's not like a hateful thing. Wisdom's just telling you it's too late. You're in jail. 
I can't help you now. I can help you if you want to start being wise in jail. But I can't help you now because you're already in jail. I was trying to keep you from going to jail. That's what, that's all she's saying. I just thought I'd get excited here for a moment. Some of you looked like you needed it too, by the way. I'm not going to point in anyone's direction or name names. All right. Some of you just woke up in the nick of time. <laughs> and number two, um, the natural consequences of the foolish behavior is there. Uh, that just says, man, alive. Uh, Hosea chapter 8, verse 7 is a proverb that the world likes to quote. Uh, For they sow to the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Now, what does that mean? It means the Lord is saying that Israel would, the farmers would sow instead of into the ground where they should be planting, they just toss it up into the air, into foolish things. They sow into to folly, right? And when you sow into folly, like, you know, drinking and driving or, or uh, whatever it is, you reap the whirlwind of what you've been doing. It comes back as a boomerang and destroys your life. That's plain and simple. What the paragraph is about is, is that uh, you're going to Galatians, what? Chapter 6. And verse 7, do not be mocked. Do not, God cannot be mocked. For a man will reap what he sows. If he sows to his sinful nature, from that nature he will reap destruction. That's a spiritual promise and law. But if he sows to the spirit, things that are spiritual, Spiritual and obedience from that spirit shall reap the consequences of a peaceable, uh, a, a wonderful life, a blessed life. And so those are the things that this paragraph tells us about. Yeah, we have two, so two choices uh, at every turn. Heed wisdom's cry or turn a deaf ear. To heed is to invest in your own well-being and to ignore is to put yourself in harm's way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Proverbs chapter one. We pray that the truths here that just really smack us around um, in a good way. Help us to hear the rebukes of, of wisdom and, and learn even right now in, in the classroom, as it were, so that we don't have to learn in real life. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.